Hey, what's good, fam? My name is Adam McRoberts, and this is the Do Big Things Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. We offer professional support for all your ultramarathon or supported adventures. We can coach you up or we can crew you in. Whatever you need, we want you to do big things. We're here to help. We're here to support. We're here to inspire. Look us up. Big Things Crewing. Why is it that recovery from alcohol and drugs often go hand in hand with some form of extreme exercise or belief system? Or are addictive tendencies and extreme behaviors uh, like distant cousins? I once heard Dr. Drew mentioning a study that showed something like 85% of people that are in some sort of a recovery program would have no problem running into a burning building to save a loved one or even a stranger, while most normies would run the opposite direction to look for help. I don't really know why I mentioned this, other than to say that most people I've met who are recovering have something special. It's like they are on their second life and they know it and they're thankful for it. My guest today, Seth Howland, is not only recovering from alcohol and drugs, but he was once a 300-pound man whose life was spinning rapidly out of control. He'd been kicked out of the Army and the Marines for alcohol-related incidences. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. His life was pretty much a mess. Eventually, through the help of a recovery program, he was able to claw his way out of the mess his life had become. Along with getting sober, he found his way into a gym and eventually found ultramarathons as a way to push his body and his mind to the limits, but in more of a positive direction. Since almost everyone's races were canceled this year due to the global pandemic, he opted to go out and run his first 100-mile run on his own. Or at least that's how it started. With the support of his local running community and and recovery community, Seth had lots of folks come out to crew and pace and cheer him on. He ran three 33-mile laps up and down Mount Sopris in Carbondale, Colorado. His story is inspiring and he shows us that anyone can change for the better if they simply decide to. Please put your hands together for my man. Seth Howland. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Seth? How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, man. How's your day? It's great, man. Just just woke up from a nap. <laughs> oh, perfect. That's a good day right there. Yeah, I've been taking lots of naps lately. <laughs> After your 100? Yeah. Cool, man. Definitely. Well, yeah. let's jump right into it, man. Tell me about the Sopris 100. Well, um, I was originally supposed to do Run Rabbit Run 100. Okay. And I, I mean... They tried as hard as they could to keep it on, and um, but you know I kind of knew it was gonna. I had that feeling that it was gonna get canceled, so yep. I've been training for it essentially since like November or December, and okay. I was like, well, I'm I'm gonna do something anyway. I'm not just gonna 
throw this out the window. And um, Sopris is, you know, it's the town I got sober in. You know, it's it's I've been living here for over eleven years now in uh, Carbondale, Colorado. Okay. So it has a a lot of meaning. That mountain has a lot of meaning to me. So I figured, um, you know, I'd like to involve that in the in the one hundred miler. You know. Yeah. So this is just a um, like a self supported event that you put on, right? Uh, this isn't an official yeah. race. This is just something that you set up, and you just wanted to go out and bang out a hundred miles. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, I definitely wouldn't say it was self supported though, just because there was plenty of people that helped me. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, I wanted to get the I wanted to get the hundred mile or in no matter what. I don't care about the buckle or i mean it'd be cool to have but that's not the reason why you know right so was this your first 100 miler yeah yeah it was and i think that's why you know that was why too just been focused on it for so long that i wanted to have it under my belt yeah yeah that's awesome so it was uh three different uh laps up mount sopris is that right yeah, so there's this thing in Carbondale called the Sopris Challenge, uh, where you run from Sopris Park in downtown Carbondale up to the peak of Sopris and back, which is about 33 miles or so, and right around 7,000 feet of gain. And I did that a couple of weeks ago on uh, the second day of my back-to-back long runs, so... I started thinking, well, I, I think I could do it at least twice. I'm not sure if I could do it three times. That seems like a lot. But uh, <laughs> after a couple of days of recovery, I was like, you know what, man? I got to go for three. I'm not, if I'm nice. going to do 100, nice. I'm going to do it right, you know? Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So how did it go, man? Your first 100 miler. Um, I mean, I remember my first 100 miler. It was slow. There was a lot of hiking. But, you know, in the end, I surprised myself and I felt like, you know, I sort of had this new superpower that I didn't know I had. But, you know, I didn't feel like it was it was just me. I had this feeling like everyone has this superpower if they really wanted to tap into it. You know, I mean, most people don't want to run a hundred miler and I, I don't blame them for that. But, um, you know, I felt <coughs> excuse me. I felt pretty good afterwards. I, I, I surprised myself. Is that how you felt? I mean, that I, I couldn't describe it any better myself. Nice. That, that's exactly how it went. It, it was a lot slower than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> okay. But uh, I didn't really care about that, you know? Yeah, of course. How long did it end up taking you? Well, it was about just under 35 hours. Oh, wow. So you were out there for a while. But I yeah, mean, you're yeah. 21K avert, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it goes from like 6,000 feet to almost 13,000 feet each lap. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's just three big, you know, climbs and then three big descents. So you're up and, a three line for a good 3K. Yeah, and the like going up to the top of Mount Sobris is um, – a lot of loose scree and and talus fields so it's not like there's like no trail you know at sections so i mean i wasn't trying to race through any of that stuff i didn't want to injure myself of course yeah yeah so how long have you been uh running 
I have been running for, let's see, I'll say I started when I was about 19. I'm 35, so 14 years, roughly. Okay. Okay. And have you been consistent throughout that whole time? Or, I mean, you said this is your first 100. Had you run marathons or anything previous to this? Yeah, so most of the running, um, I was in the military for a little while. You know, it was just like three, two, three miles at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I spent the majority of my time in the gym. I was a big weightlifter, big okay. you know, gym rat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really get into the longer distance running until like four or five years ago. I ran my first road marathon. Okay. Um, and that was what kind of sparked it I, I really enjoyed that so what inspired you to run a marathon oh man i i done some 10ks and i just thought you know maybe i could go run a i i think i can do a half marathon you know sure. like and i didn't really want to do a marathon because i didn't want to lose all my uh, muscle mass at the time you know i mean yeah. i was like super obsessed with with weightlifting Okay, but um, I just went out one day and I did a training run and ran a half marathon, and I was like, "Oh, that was pretty easy." And I had a a buddy too that kept telling me, "Oh, you could, you should do a full, you should do a full." So after I I did the training run, I was like, "Well, that wasn't very difficult, so I could definitely do a full marathon." Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but at one time you were up 100 pounds. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and that's when I started running. When I was about 19, I was a freshman in college. I maxed out at 303 pounds. Um, you know, I was just very unhealthy, eating, you know, eating a lot of, of fast food and pizza and, you know, any processed food and um, drinking a lot of alcohol and smoking a lot of weed and, you know, all that stuff. And I, honestly, man, I was just sick and tired of being that fat, man. I just... I couldn't handle it anymore. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't mind, Seth, take us back. Like, tell us about where you grew up and what that was like. And then, uh, you know, I think you were in the Marines for a while. So, you know, just just tell us about the journey, man. Yeah. So I grew up most mostly grew up in South Portland, Maine. Um my parents were divorced. My dad was in the Coast Guard for 20 years. And I think about the last eight years of his service, we lived in Maine. And uh, my mother and stepfather lived in Texas. So I would live with my dad during the school year. Then I would go visit my mom. Uh, so I got to spend my, basically the winters in Maine and the summers in Texas. So it's about oh, wow. the opposite of the way you would want to do it. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Uh, I was always a really heavy, heavy kid growing up. You know, I mean, I think I was like 215 in the eighth grade. Like, wow. Either like the the heaviest kid or the second heaviest kid in the class every year. And I was really weak. I wasn't like the, like some heavy kids are really strong, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I was really, really physically weak. um, And I got picked on a lot. So um, I think by, yeah, by the time I was like, 18 or 19 you know I just got sick of being that kid man I was like I gotta make a change you know mm-hmm. and uh a lot of it wasn't like healthy either it was like like angry like like I gotta change so nobody screws with me anymore you know sure. like I'm gonna show all these 
people not to mess with me anymore. And that was like a lot of the motivation in me, you know, losing weight. Sure. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that as motivation. Yeah. Hey, it, it works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, when you're a young man full of angst and testosterone there, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that being a, a motivator. Yeah. And, um, I mean, my, you know, like in high school, I started to get in, in trouble a lot with, with my dad. Uh, my family was like very, it was a very like broken household. You could call it, you know, like it, it wasn't a very stable household. So there was a lot of anger, um, from that too, you know, like, you know, my dad, you know, like I love my dad and he raised me to the best of his ability, but there was like a lot of abuse, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I think I just kind of directed all that eventually into training, you know? Sure. Yeah. Like physical abuse? Uh, a little, not, not, I mean, I always kind of like justify it, you know, but I mean, he never hit me, but he would definitely like uh, put his hands on me and, yell at me and scream and more mental abuse though which i think is more damaging actually yeah it can be for sure a lot of belittling me and like i just never felt like i was loved you know sure sure that was always uh that was always very difficult absolutely and then so you joined the military when you were like 19 or something like that yeah exactly so i was in college um which didn't go very well. I mean, I just kind of was doing whatever I could to try to make my dad happy, you know? Like, I mm-hmm. wasn't doing any of it for me. Mm-hmm. And I got kicked out of college when I was 19 due to uh, drinking pretty much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have anywhere to go. And I had a buddy in college who was in the Army, and he started talking to me about that. So I just, you know, like the old geographic uh thing i did that i was like oh i'll join the army and that'll help me stop drinking you know right which was it like couldn't be further from the truth because all you do in the military is is drink when you're not training (laughs) sure so i eventually was um i got an honorable discharge from the army but i mean that was just very lucky i really got out um because i was dealing with depression and alcoholism and I was only about 11 months in the army. Okay. And uh, so I went back home to live with my dad in Maine. And that's when my drinking got really bad. That's when I started like blacking out. You know, I was a blackout drinker. So I would black out almost every single time I drank. And I, I'd start having really bad withdrawals and hallucinations when I was withdrawing. And like, you know, the, the DTs and that kind of stuff. And um so I, I, I mean, through all this, though, I kept working out, I kept running and, um, I, I talked to the Marine recruiter and I was like, you know, I was thinking this will make my dad happy. If I can go back in the military and fulfill my obligations and be a Marine, like that'll finally make him happy, you know? Yeah. So I, I kind of got my shit together for a little while and, uh, went into the Marine Corps in 2006. Okay. So you you were honorably discharged from the army for like depression and alcoholism and then you were accepted into the Marine Corps. Like how did that work? Yeah. So that was, that was crazy too. I mean, 
my story, I mean, it's no different than anyone else in recovery, probably, but to someone that's not in recovery, it's pretty freaking wild. Oh, but, for sure. Well, I mean, that, dude, I'm in recovery too, so you can lay it on me. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had this recruiter, um, you know, because like I showed up to the Marine recruiting station, man, like I ran five miles there. I mean, I was like really fit, like, you know, I'm 6'3, like 220 pounds. I mean, like, I showed up and they're like, this is a, this is a guy we want, you know? Yep. Yep. And, um, I, I was drunk and I had this recruiter and they, I mean, they were shady, man. They, they were, they were, uh, well, let's just say they, they did some very dishonest things to get me into the Marine Corps. No kidding. Yeah. Were you, were you lying about, uh, like your depression and alcoholism or how did that work? I I mean they they knew because I would show up to the functions like drunk, but um <laughs> I don't know. It just like somehow I slipped through the cracks, you know. Mm, okay. Like, okay. I mean, we're good at that kind of stuff sometimes, you know. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. No, alcoholics are are good at um, you know, presenting a, a different version of yourself. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's a full-time job, uh, you oh, know, presenting is. that, that other version of yourself. So no, I get it, man. So what was your experience in the Marines? Like, I, I mean, actually, I mean, I loved it, man. It was, it was awesome. You know, I really felt like that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I love the camaraderie. I love living with all the other guys. I love training with the guys. I mean, it was perfect for me, you know, cause I didn't really have much of a family connection, so I didn't mind being away from home. You know, like a lot of the guys, you know, they missed home, you know, but I, I could care less about going back home. Right. And uh, I mean, all you did was work out, you know. Sure. Like it, it was perfect for me. You, you know, you work out, you you train to fight and uh, you party hard when you're not training, you know. Um, the, the problem was I just couldn't stop partying that's what you want to call it for sure it, now I mean, were you deployed at all or what was your uh job in the in the marines yeah so i went in as infantry 0311 which is a rifleman okay and uh but then i went to security forces like basic security guard school and then i went to a unit called fast company which is a fleet anti-terrorism security team and um you get to do a lot of really cool stuff you know you get to like fast group out of helicopters do like um shipboards and seizures and like embassy takeovers if like the embassy was taken over you would go in and do that kind of a lot of high speed stuff but uh the training never really gets put to use it's yeah. it's um like they call it a fake ass seal team is what they call it okay but, but so you're supposed to do that for two years after you've done training your you know like your schools and stuff you do that for two years and then you finish because it's a five-year contract then you finish your last two years in an infantry battalion okay. um so i made it about three years i was like two years nine months is when i got kicked out so mm-hmm. I never got to go to my actual infantry battalion. I just went through boot camp, went through 
infantry school, went through security guard school. And then, you know, in the fast company, we deployed to Cuba, uh, Bahrain and Jordan. And I made it through that. And then right when it was time to transfer out to your infantry unit, that's when I started getting in a lot of trouble with the drinking. Mm, like what was going on? Well, I, um, they actually sent me to, to military rehab twice. Oh, wow. The first time I drank at the rehab, uh, the <laughs> second time I made it through, it was like 28-day rehab. The second time I made it through, but I drank the day I got out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, I had this one buddy. He was a really good friend of mine. And like part of my story is like I have a hard time connecting with people. You know, I have a really hard time like building real friendships sure I, I started to bond with this one guy you know we were really good friends we would do like a 10 mile run which at the time to me was like huge you know a 10 mile run sure. every thursday and we would just lift weights together all the time like we were pretty close and he went on a deployment to japan and he left me the keys to his car and um i knew like in my head i was like man i should give these keys to somebody in the chain of command because there's no way i should have these keys you know Mm. and i didn't i left them in my locker and one night we got really uh drunk and and i got the keys out and i remember driving to the bar i think i i don't i mean it was pretty much blacked at this point might have had like one drink at the bar and drove home and on the way home i was like hot it was a camaro and i was like hot rodding his car and uh, around this like pretty sharp turn, and I lost control and went through a fence and hit a pile of sheetrock and uh, total, totaled the car. I mean, the, it was still running, but it was smashed. And somehow I managed to drive it back on base like that with the airbags deployed. And oh, you know, no. just, the car was smashed. And I was so blackout drunk the gate guards said that i sounded completely sober <laughs> and yeah so um they didn't arrest me at that moment they they came the next morning you know i guess okay. the gate guards were convinced that i had just drove the, the car was already damaged and i drove it drove it to 7-eleven or whatever i told them but the next <laughs> morning they they came and got me and i ended up going to the brig for which is the military jail for 25 days for that. Mm-hmm. And is that what got, got you kicked out? Um, I, after that, I still, ha- I mean, I might've been in denial, but I think I still had some hope that I was going to stay in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. There's some weird, like they really liked me. They, like, you know, when I wasn't drunk, I was a really good Marine and did well. But there was another incident where, um, you know, like all my buddies were getting ready to to go to their unit and they were going to go to Afghanistan or whatever. And, you know, like me being me, I was like, well, I'll just go buy some kegs. So I bought a couple of kegs to kind of have like a farewell party for them. And, um, you know, like part of, you know, I always had a hard time being accepted. And I had this crazy idea that, you know, like, there's this guy that nobody likes. And if I hurt him, then I'll get accepted. You know, like that's how delusional my thinking was. So mm. I, I hit him in the head with a handle of tequila. 
Mm. And uh, it, it was the most cowardly thing I've ever done in my life. And uh, it, was, it was one of those times, too, where I'd already been drinking for like two days straight. And mm. I knew if I kept drinking, something really bad was going to happen. But I was so powerless over alcohol that I couldn't not drink that day, you know. Right. Like, no matter what I wanted to do, there was no way I wasn't drinking. It just wasn't like an option. So that I ended up uh, injuring him. And um, so that sent me back to the brig for another 25 days. And that, I mean, that was it, you know, that was like, they were like, we can't have you running around here hurting other Marines, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel very terrible about that. And, um, you know, there's nothing good about it at all. Um, But that, I mean, that's the way that ended for me, you know, and they, they sent me on my way. Mm Mm-hmm. So what did your life look like after that? I mean, did you know it was time to get cleaned up at that point or did it just keep on spiraling downward? It kept on spiraling. So my mother and stepfather lived in Colorado and I and I was sitting at a bus station in Virginia with a bus ticket back to Maine because they just give you a bus ticket back to wherever you came from. And, uh, you know, I got to kind of go back to Maine. Like there's no me and my dad hadn't talked for about five years no mm-hmm. no form of communication at all and i wasn't about to call him and ask him to come home you know right. and um my mother and stepfather are alcoholic too and mm-hmm. i don't know what the situation was at the time but they were like just leave your stuff there we'll buy you a plane ticket to denver we'll fly you to denver and you can you know we'll drive out to the mountains you can come live with us okay so i did that but you know when i look back on it now that, I mean, I feel like that was a higher power working in my life because um, it brought me to the place where I got sober, you know, and, and I certainly didn't get sober then. Like, I I think I continued drinking and then I started to get into to the drugs once I moved up into the mountain town in Aspen and I started doing a lot of cocaine. And um, but it brought me it brought me to my bottom and. uh at the time, my mom was in recovery. You know, she she's been in and out a few times, but so she started taking me to meetings uh, out here, which was, you know, like the the seal had been cracked, like the seed had been planted. You know. Yep. Yep. No, like they say, uh, it, it's pretty hard to go out drinking once you've got a head full of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and it. it it took me a while to get there, but, uh, I, you know, I finally reached a point where I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I feel like I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to try recovery, you know? And, um, I was just so beat down, man. Like, I mean, all the external things, like I hadn't had a driver's license in over 12 years, like, no bank account for three years. I mean, it, it was just like I'd stopped working out. That was a big thing for me. You know, like I got to the point where I was no longer exercising at all. And that was mm-hmm. like such an important part of my life. And I, and I lost that, you know? So how long after you were uh, booted out of the Marines before you finally started, uh, you know, your recovery process? Let's see, that was in, I was booted out in 2009, and now my sobriety date is 2014, but I had gotten sober in 2013, 
So four years. I okay. got sober for eight and a half months and then relapsed and then came back in and haven't gone back out since. Got it. Okay. So like, what did a typical day look like for you back in those days? Were you working and did you not have a license because you had gotten DUIs in the past? Yeah. So I got a, um, when I was 17, I had gotten like a couple of minor in possession alcohol tickets. And then I got a couple like marijuana tickets in Maine. It was decriminalized. So you just get a fine, right. but I didn't pay the fine. So they took my license away. Mm, yep. And and then I I got a DUI in 2005 as well. Okay. And, but um, you know, like how it looks for me is all I had to do to get my license back was pay like a $900 fine and go take a alcohol class in Maine that they wanted me to take and then redo the license procedures. It, okay. You know, for I don't know how long it was. Let's just say for 10 years straight, every weekend, I would tell myself, I'm going to save my money. I'm going to pay off this fine. I'm going to get my license back. And every single Monday morning, I would wake up broke because uh, <laughs> I was I was drinking, you know. Mm-hmm. And nine months after getting sober, I had my license back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy. That's so, crazy. But so, yeah, I mean, how bad was it? Like, what did a typical day look like for you back in those days? It it, it got really bad, man. I, I mean, I would. Um, I would wake up, you know, I wouldn't I wasn't like a morning drinker because I was more of a binge drinker. OK, so I would wake up and I usually have like really bad withdrawals and I'd be pretty sick, you know, and um I I would, I don't know, maybe like two or three in the afternoon. And I would just, I mean, I would drink 50 beers a night easy, man. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's hard to say what a day would look like because they're just, it just like transformed over time and got so bad. But Mm -hmm. at, at the end, when I was living in Aspen, you know, like I was doing a lot of Coke and a lot of Molly. There was like a period where I did like, I went like 18 days in a row drinking and doing Molly and um, doing Coke every day and doing mushrooms and acid. And um, I remember there was one point where um, I was just laying on the floor. I mean, it was like a 14 hour kind of blackout. And I just remember like coming to waking on the floor and like not being able to move and thinking I was dying, you know. And like some of my friends just kind of kicked me and I mean, cause they were all using too. Yeah. And uh, I kind of made some noises. So I guess they thought it was okay. But, um, you know, like I thought I was going to die right there on the spot, man, but I, I made it through that somehow, you know, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Were you working at the time? Uh, I would work, uh, you know, I would, I would try my best to work. Uh, I would go in and out of jobs. I could never really hold a job for more than three months. I would yeah. say, I, you know, I'd, I got jobs that allowed me to drink. So, like, when I moved to Colorado, I got a job as a dishwasher up in Aspen at a restaurant right at the base of Aspen Mountain. And my hours were from 4 p.m. to 12 p.m. So, mm-hmm. I, would, I would ski during the day, and then I would go to work at 4 
And I mean, I was a really hard worker and they, and then that restaurant, they didn't care what I did as long as I got the job done. So mm-hmm. I would have like a 12 pack of PBR or whatever in a five gallon bucket of ice in the dish pit with me while I was working. <laughs> yeah. And I would just drink that while I was at work, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, like as it progressed, I had some other, you know, I had some other jobs and uh, like I, I was landscaping at the end, you know, real hard labor, you know, just like digging ditches and flagstone and all that stuff. And um, we would work Monday through Thursday, 10 hour days, Friday, if it rained, you know, on a week, the other days. And uh, I, I could never make it to work on Monday. I would always, you know, like Friday, the boss would be like, will you be here Monday? And I'd be like, yeah, man, I promise. I promise I'll be here on Monday. Like, And I believed it. I really thought I could, but I would just drink so much over the weekend that I couldn't make it to work on Monday, you know? And um, that's what kind of led to my bottom too, because I was living in my stepdad's basement at the time. And like, I felt like he was the only one on the world left that loved me, you know, like I really Mm. felt that way. And, uh, he, you know, he always kind of enabled me and helped me and whatever you want to call it. But it got to a point where he told me, he's like, look, man, you got to move out. And, uh, like that hurt me very bad. Uh, and I still tell him, I was like, man, that was the best thing you ever did for me. And he doesn't still Mm. doesn't understand it. But if he had never told me that, I may have never felt enough pain to be willing to change, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, like, what was going through your head in those days? Or was there anything going through your head? I mean, you know, you're, you're pretty much drinking your life away and, you know, you're getting fired from jobs and, you know, life isn't really ideal. Were you thinking in those terms or were you thinking – uh, all right, I'm going to get sober one day, or were you just thinking I have to find a way to manage this or, or what was going through your head? Yeah. I mean, there was no management, definitely no management, but I, I was more or less thinking that I just can't stand the person that I'm becoming, you know, mm-hmm. like I couldn't, I just hated myself. I couldn't look in the mirror. Um, and like I'd heard of people getting sober, you know, cause like my mother and other people were in recovery and, um, I, but I thought it was like a fairy tale. Like, I didn't think it was possible for me, you know? Right. And right. I mean, I, I really, I don't know. I just, I knew deep down inside that that's not who I was. I think that's what bothered me the most was I kept doing these absurd things that I didn't want to do knowing that I was a better person than that. Mm. And that's like, you know, the internal demoralization we talk about in recovery. It's like, the pain was so deep inside, you know, cause I knew I was, I was a different person, but I, my actions were clearly showing that I wasn't a better person. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I get it. And so what was your rock bottom moment? What made you change? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say there was a moment, but towards the end, um, you know, I, I gotten diagnosed with type one diabetes think when I was like 27 or 28 and um I just remember like 
drinking and doing drugs and not taking my insulin and and waking up and not knowing if I was going to wake up. But I kept, I was having this like uh, sleep paralysis is what I call it. I don't know what the medical term is, but I would consciously wake up in my brain, but I wouldn't be able to open my eyes or move any of my body parts for like 30 seconds to a minute. And it was like the most terrifying feeling because I knew I was awake and if I like forced, like tried to like make myself move, it was harder to move and I would have to relax and I would relax and then eventually my eyes would open and I would be able to move my body parts. And um, I mean, that was definitely like a low, like the lowest of lows. Yeah. So that scared you enough into um, getting yourself into recovery? Yeah. And, and at that point, like I you know, known people in recovery because of my, my mother and stepfather. And, um, you know, like they would tell me stuff like it's easier to stay at the bottom, you know, when you're ready to come out of the bottom, let us know, you know, like they would say little Mm -hmm. things to me, you know, like I knew where to go, you know? And, um, I just remember, I was like, man, like I'm either going to jump off this bridge here. I'm going to go to recovery. Like that was kind of my thought, you know? And eventually I was like, I'm, I, I just, I don't remember like a clear or definitive day or thought that or experience that made me do it, but I just had enough, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My life was just so yeah. bad. Like I just wanted something better for myself. Yeah. No, I can relate a hundred percent. So what was your first step? um, in trying to get clean? Was it like, did you go to a meeting? Did you have to go to a detox and a, like a treatment center or what was it like for no, you? I just went to a meeting. Like I okay. never went to detox. I probably should have, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just went, started going to meetings. Like, cause the way I drank, the way I drank is I would drink really heavy for like three or four days. And then I would spend like two or three days detoxing on my own and then i would repeat that cycle um okay so i you know i figured like there's no i'm just i wasn't the type of person to go to detox you know yeah so what was it like for you you know taking that first step into a meeting i mean was were you by yourself were were you freaking out on the inside or did you sit in the back of the room or what was it like? I think I remember it was definitely wasn't my first one because I had gone when I was in rehab in uh, the, the Marine Corps. But at that time, I didn't care. I hated it. I didn't want to be there, you know. But uh, sure. I just remember going to one here in Glenwood Springs. And I mean, I was sad. I was terrified. And I just remember uh, I was crying. And I just said, I need help. Like, I just, that was what all I said, you know, and of course, plenty of people came to my side. Yep. Yep. So what was it like within, you know, like for me, the the first 90 days were really rough. And then finally, almost like clockwork after 90 days, the light started kind of shining in a little bit. Um, Everybody's process is a little bit different. Um, you know, what was the first couple of months like for you? Oh, it's hard to remember, but I mean, I was so into it. Like I was so obsessed with it, man. Like I went to meetings every day, twice a day, three times a day. I would ride my bike to them on my lunch break. Like, I mean, I just, I did everything they told me to do. 
Like right. I, I mean, I wasn't taking any chances. I, I mean, like it just naturally became my way of life, you know? And, uh, and there was a lot of anger for sure. And, um, whenever it was funny, whenever I would get angry, I would just eat a jar of peanut butter. It was kind of disgusting, <laughs> but it, it didn't get me drunk. So I didn't care at the time. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, I remember when I first gave up alcohol, I, you know, be at, at home in my room at night, like, I'd eat a pint of ice cream and a whole bag of cookies. And it's like, well, at least I'm not drinking as I'm just plowing down through tons of ice cream. But Hey, hey sorry Seth. about that. No, sorry. I lost you there. Yeah, somebody else tried calling me. Oh, that's all right. So, yeah, man. Um, so you were pretty obsessed with it. Did you find a sponsor right away? Uh, after like two weeks. Okay. Um, and what year was this again? That was in 2013. So 13. I made it like eight and a half months relapsed because I didn't do all the work. Like I was obsessed with going to the meetings and all that. You know, left a couple of things off my fifth step. Relapsed for like two months. And uh, there was an old timer that called me and he just said, when are you ready to quit fucking around? Really? When are you ready to do, yeah, he's like, when are you ready to do your fourth step? And I was like, I'm ready, man. Like, I, I think if I drank another day, I would have died. Wow. So, uh, I, I mean, he, he would always check in on me, but I think he was just kind of waiting to hear like the desperation in my voice, you know. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. he's like, meet me on Sunday night at six thirty, and I met him that Sunday, and like, that's when the obsession to drink was lifted. And never, never okay. returned. Uh, so what was that eight months of relapse like was it pretty dark oh uh, no it was, it was two months of relapse oh, I was two months sober my bad. For eight and a half months and then relapsed for two months but okay, gotcha uh, yeah it was it was bad that's when i was like really not taking care of myself with the i never lost my job during that period though which was pretty remarkable wow. but um that's when I was like not taking my insulin and, you know, drinking really heavy and doing a lot of drugs and waking up in, in strange places. And, um, I, it, it, I, I think that relapse saved my life. Honestly, it was the best thing that happened to me because it showed me that I need to be a hundred percent engaged in recovery, not 80% engaged in recovery. For sure. Yeah. And then, so that old timer called you and saved your life. kind of, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's still around today. He's like 36 or seven years sober. You know, old old Harley guy. Still yeah, talking nice. to him, man. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. And so what does your recovery look like nowadays? I mean, you've been sober for a number of years. Um, how do you stay engaged with the community, especially now during COVID when everyone's doing Zoom meetings? Oh, um, well, that's... I'm lucky, man. We have a really strong recovery community where I live. And okay. we're actually having about f- five, maybe more in-person meetings a week. Okay. So, cool. so um, you're still able to attend meetings? Yeah. But when it all shut down, like, you know, I actually felt the best I felt in a while when it shut down, man, because I had nothing to do but run and work on recovery, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have a job 
for a little while and like i was like i just i was waking up every day calling other guys in recovery you know okay and okay. i felt really connected that's cool that's real cool yeah so um are you sponsoring other people now or where are you at in your process yeah yeah i am i'm, I'm I'd say I'm very engaged. I mean, I always try to keep it at the forefront of my life because, you know, I was taught that anything you put before it, you'll lose. And I experienced that when I relapsed. And, uh, you know, I I um, live in a house with a, another guy in, in recovery. And, um, I'm, you know, all, not all my friends, but most of my friends are in recovery, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, I try to keep myself in the middle of the room. Yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, yeah, that's quite a story. It sounds like uh, things were were pretty rough for you. And then, you know, when I gave it up, you know, I was like inundated with all these feelings, you know, of probably the reasons why I was trying to escape, you know, um, and I had yeah. to face those feelings and deal with all those fears and insecurities that I had. Is that how what it was like for you? Yeah, definitely. And that, yeah. And then at like 18 months sober, and then again at four years sober, I had a really uh, bad bouts of depression. Like I was just waking up, you know, and I, I was waking up every day just wanting to kill myself, like visions of gunshots going off in my head and not being able to work. Like I was just so sick of from depression. And uh, I realized I had to get some outside help, you know. Yeah. And sure. uh I started seeing a therapist and I started seeing taking some uh antidepressants and, and that was at eighteen months and, and it went away and then at four years it came back really strong and, and I, I couldn't work for a couple of months because I was just you know, so in the depths of depression and I went to this one I, I switched therapist at the time and um I mean, we dug really deep into those insecurities and childhood trauma. And, um, you know, that was so that was about two and a half years ago. And, and the depression has not returned since, wow. you know, like I had to to dig to the root of that stuff. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That's what it is, man. I mean, you have to dig way back into the past and, you know, forgive the people that you hold resentments against. And you really got to face your demons. Yeah, exactly, man. And, you know, I thought I had because I'd been doing all the work in recovery. I'd been to the steps a bunch of times, you know, making my amends, you know, doing everything I was supposed to do. And I was still suicidal. So I was like, you know, this is something outside of alcoholism, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm curious, are antidepressants still a part of your recovery? Yeah, they are, man. I take like the minimal dose required, but... uh, Mm -hmm. There's been a couple of times where I've tried to come off of them and, you know, I just feel like I need it, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, if it's going to let me live a happier, healthier life and I only have to take 10 milligrams a day, then so be it, you know. 100%. Yes, sir. Yeah. I start getting very anxious when I come off of them. And I mean, like they slow me down just enough to not to not hurt anybody else right yeah no i hear you man so when did uh i mean when did you start bringing exercise into your recovery i mean you've you've always kind of exercised but um when did it start picking up and and getting a little bit more extreme you said you were into weightlifting for a while pretty hardcore yeah 
so once I got started getting sober again, like one of my first things was I got to get back in the gym, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I have to get back into the gym. Like this is what I love to do. I love to work out. There's a gym here in town that's owned by sober guy. Okay. So it was a really cool place to hang out because a lot of the people in the gym are sober. Mm. So, I, you know, like I would just basically go to work, go to meeting, and then spend the rest of my time at the gym, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to get as big and strong and fast as possible. Yeah, yeah. And so you were mainly lifting? Yeah, I was lifting. I would I would do, uh, you know, like a five-mile run or 20-minute. My thing was, like, I would just run 20 minutes as fast as I could or 30 minutes as fast as I could or hit the row machine for a little while. And But, yeah, definitely primarily lifting weights. Yeah. And you're a big guy, so were you lifting pretty heavy? Yeah, I mean, um, I got strong. I mean, I could deadlift, like, 500 pounds. Mm. um you know like uh, yeah i mean I, I was pretty strong there's definitely people stronger than me but um, yeah I, i've lifted relatively heavy yeah that's awesome that's a good feeling too and that's like a good way to um just sort of get it out you know whether it's anger or depression or whatever it is i mean that's you know a healthy outlet uh, a lot of people yeah a lot of people pick up a paintbrush or a lot of people start writing, but a lot of people right. turn to the weights and running and, you know, it's, it's, it's just a good, healthy outlet. And, um, you know, I've heard people say it's like a transfer of addictions. Oh, you're just addicted to going to the gym, but you know, it, it's so much better for you, obviously than, yeah, yeah. than drinking. So it's like, you know, where's the negative there? I don't, I don't quite see it. Right. Yeah. That's what I say. It's like, well, you know, um, being addicted to running or lifting weights isn't going to wind me up in uh, prison tomorrow morning. For sure, 100%. You know, I'm not going to ruin anybody else's life because I'm going to the gym three hours a day, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and then when did it turn to more running? When did you start getting obsessed with that? Um. So I did that first marathon, like, I can't remember, it was four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. But I was still like trying to lift weights while I was training for that, you know. Yep. And uh, after I ran it, man, like that was still the worst run of my life. Like, I I trained on my own. I didn't really know what I was doing. I would just do like my long runs as hard as I could every time, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I bonked out at like mile twenty one, maybe. So the last five miles of the marathon were just miserable. I mean, like, <laughs> I went from running like an eight minute pace to like a 1030 pace. And it just felt like it was never going to end. So after that, I was like, I'm never running again. Like I'm never running a marathon again. I'll stick to my 10 Ks, you know, so right. I just kept, I just kept lifting weights. And then, um, two years, two years after that, I figured, man, I'd like to do it again. I'd like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know how we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sucks really bad. I'd like to do it again. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah. I, I started training a little smarter. I still had, I was still training by my, you know, like self coached or whatever. And, but I got a heart rate monitor and I started training by heart rate and I started asking my running friends how to do my long runs and doing them in like zone two, instead of going all out every long run, you know? Mm-hmm. and um 
I dropped like 15 minutes off my marathon time and uh, I felt pretty good. Like it didn't hurt nearly as bad, you know? Yeah. And um, I ran that. And uh, I mean, I live in Colorado. I live in, in the Western slope. I mean, there's mountains everywhere. And I was spending every day running on the bike path, you know? Okay. I was like, this is such a waste of my life. Like I'm sitting here running on the same bike path every day when I have all these mountains surrounding me, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's when I was like, well, you know, maybe I should start training for a trail race or an ultra. And I was like, I think I can do 50 miles. So, um, you know, I was like, I, I, I love being in the mountains. I love skiing. I love mountain biking. I love hiking. You know, I was like, I'm not going to spend another day running on this stupid bike path when I got these giant mountains all around me. Yeah. So then you discovered trail running and I'm guessing you fell in love with it. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was better too at first. Cause you know, when you're, when I'm road running, I'm constantly staring at my watch. Like what's my pace? What's my pace? You know, what are my splits when I'm running in the, in the mountains? I'm not doing that as much, you know, cause it's so variable. It's not, you're not holding the eight minute pace for two hours, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's so much elevation. You're going up, you're going down and you also have to stay more present when you're running on trails, yeah. you know? I mean, exactly. When you're running on roads on a flat surface, you can kind of let your mind wander a little bit, but when you're running trails, you really have to stay present. Yeah. And that's really what I liked about mountain biking. Cause I started mountain biking when I got sober and, uh, especially on the downhill man like if you're not in the moment like in the focus on the exact moment you're gonna eat eat shit you know yep for sure and um and i get really i really feel my higher powers presence when i'm in the mountains mm-hmm. like when i'm out on a big trail run or a hike or just out in, out in the woods in the middle of nowhere by myself like that's when i feel more connected to my higher power than any other time yeah for sure yeah i mean you know just being outside and being in the mountains that can be you know your version of church almost you know yeah i mean it, yeah it is basically yeah. So. yeah i get it and then so when did you run your first 50 i did that last summer i uh okay. it's funny you know because i was reading um i was reading david goggins's book oh yeah and uh I was looking at him. I was like, I'm either going to sign up for the power of four, which is like a 50 K, but it's got like 11,000 feet of elevation gain and a 50 K. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it goes up Aspen mountain, snow mass, buttermilk and Aspen highlands. Yeah. So I was either going to do that. or I was going to sign up for uh, the silver rush 50, which is like the Leadville 50. Yep. I've and, that. Um, yeah. I was reading that book at like, 10 o'clock at night one night and i was like fuck it man and i just went online and signed up for the silver rush 50 and that was last <laughs> july nice yeah so what was what was that moment like when you f- hit the final uh submit button on the computer and you know you're signed up for a race did you immediately start training harder right away yeah that's when i got a coach <laughs> uh, okay smart i was like I, I should probably get a coach for this one because i don't know what i'm doing you know yeah for sure so how did that change yeah. things that was very helpful man like he taught me a lot about you know like running easier and 
uh, resting appropriately, you know, and because, you know, like I used to just run as fast as I could every time I ran, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't like every time I ran a trail run, I was going to try and break my previous time, you know, <laughs> and that's not very conducive to your fitness if you're trying to train for a couple months for a 50 mile race you're not going to make it to the race right yeah so what what was uh silver rush like for you was it uh, i I mean i loved it man you did good what's that was it just a slog into the finish or did you feel like you actually no it wasn't bad at all man like i i don't think i pushed myself as hard as i could have but i i mean i'm not super competitive either you know like i'm not Like, I'm not going to run, like, so I'm going to kill myself to come in 100th place instead of 125th place, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's kind of how I look at it. But I, sure. mean, I trained really hard, and it wasn't that challenging. Like, um, yeah, of course it was hard, but it wasn't like I never hit a low point mentally or physically during the race. Uh, and I really enjoyed the the um community aspect of it man that was my favorite part you know like you're talking to people you're helping people you know like some guy pulled a piece of pizza out of his pocket at like mile 40 and he's like hey man you want to bite you know like that (laughs) stuff doesn't happen in a road marathon race you know for sure yeah no i know i was uh i did uh some road races and i did some triathlon for a while and i remember driving to these races and you know nobody would talk to me and yeah. I wouldn't talk to anybody else, you know, I would stay in my own little bubble and everyone else kind of did too. They're worried about their splits and in triathlon. Everyone's worried about their, you know, $10,000 bike and yeah, 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 nobody's talking out there. And then when right. I did my first trail race, you know, I made all these friends that are still really close friends to this day. Yeah, that was my experience, man. I, I, one guy in particular, man, we chat online all the time now. You know, he's done a bunch of big races. I might try and he's heading to aid station at the Moab 240 next month. I'm going to try if, if I can to get off work and go help him out, you know, and it's like a real relationship, you know, that, um, you don't get it. It reminds me of the recovery community, you know, it's like we've all suffered together, we've all yeah. shared the same suffering. So now we've, you know, worked together, man. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of bonding through that sweat. You know, I've, yeah. I've heard that, that men bond with sweat and blood, you know? And yeah. so like, I'm, I'm sure you've sensed both of that, you know, in, in the military guys bond through some of their experiences. And then, yeah, same thing, you know, I've done martial arts in the past and when you're just training with these guys day in and day out, there's just a bond there that never really goes away. You know, someone pretty deep. Yeah, that I mean that was by far my favorite part about it, man. So I just I I was hooked on it right That's away. Cool. That's yeah. cool. So and then you signed up for Run Rabbit Run and then that got canceled, but you were all trained up, so you decided you were gonna make this crazy race and just go out and do it by yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean I did um I did Dead Horse 50 as well. And then I had some other 50s I signed up for that got canceled and whatnot. So, like, I mean, I probably had four or five races canceled. So I was just like, man, I, I, I'm tired of uh, race directors keeping my money. 
too. Right. So <laughs> I'm just going to do this. No, I, it doesn't matter. Like, I was listening to a podcast with um, Carl Metzler, the speed goat. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, COVID's just showing, showing people that you don't need to have a race to, to run a hundred miles. You know, that's true. So, yeah. Um, a lot of people are just going out and blazing their own trails and, you know, yeah whether it's through FKTs or just projects that they've wanted to do or some big crazy trail out in the middle of the mountains that they've always wanted to do. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that's like the purity of the sport, I think, you know, yeah, it's like, I just want to be out there with my friends. And and I was actually really happy in the end that run rabbit run got canceled because I, I didn't have to like manage getting people up there to help me. I got to do it in, my hometown and my friends that work Monday through Friday and, you know, my coach that lives out here and other, you know, like Sean, he was on your podcast. He's my manager at work. Like all these people got to come help me that otherwise wouldn't have been able to to be there with me if, if I had to go to run rabbit run, you know, for sure. Yeah. So did you just set up your car as an aid station and, and you came back to your car three times and you had friends out there that were helping pace you or what was it like? Yeah. So I had, um, I, I drove my car up about seven and a half miles. So you start out in town, you run like maybe a mile or two on pavement. And mm-hmm. then it's just a long uphill, like Jeep road, basically. Okay. Until you, it's 10 miles from town till the trailhead. So I set my car up at like seven and a half miles up at a little parking spot. Mm-hmm. Is it my main, that was like my main aid station. And then my coach um, and like Sean and some other people were meeting me back at the park when I got back there with a little aid station. And then the people that were pacing me up Mount Sopris were parked at the trailhead. So I basically had like three opportunities to get aid if I needed. Okay. Um, so it worked out perfectly. Yeah. And then, um, you ran into some problems with, uh, your, your diabetes out there, didn't you? Yeah, man, that was a surprise. Cause like when I, I did silver rush and I did dead horse and I've, you know, I've done plenty of really long training runs and uh, I've never had my blood sugar go up. It usually goes down. Cause when you run it, like your insulin receptors become more sensitive and they process things faster. But uh, coming off of Sopris, the first lap, I don't know, it was probably like 20 something miles in all of a sudden I look down and my blood sugar is at like, Oh, it just, my monitor says over 400. It doesn't tell you what the number is when you go over 400. Cause that's really wow. high. Yeah. And like, that was my low point of the run. I was like, man, I'm screwed. I'm not going to be able to finish this race. I'm going to have to go to the hospital. Like I just got in my head so bad, you know? And um, the good thing was I had to go to my car, which was probably a couple of miles from where I was to get my insulin because I didn't bring it with me on the first lap because I didn't expect my blood sugar to skyrocket. So I I ran back to my, at this time I was solo. I did the first 33 miles by myself. Okay. Um, So I was by myself and I I ran back to my car and once I get the insulin, I'm fine. Like by that point, I know now it's going to come down, you know? Got it. I got the insulin. I took like six units of fact, acting insulin 
And I didn't know how that was going to react because sometimes when you're running it, and you take insulin, um, it will make you crash, like go too low because you don't really know how much to take when you're running because you don't know how your body's going to process it. It's okay. really confusing. I mean, I've been doing it for a while and I'm still confused by it almost every day. <laughs> but um, once I got the insulin in me, then it started to, you know, my blood sugars came back down. You you typically want your blood sugar to be anywhere from like no lower than 70 and then no higher than like 180. So like okay. 130, 140 is like a perfect number. Okay. So, you know, I was over 400, which um, I've experienced that enough in my life to know I can get through it, but it, it's still got my head like, what if this doesn't correct itself? You know, like I'm going to have to quit, you know? Sure. Yeah. But what mile are you at when that happened? You said it was on your uh, first lap? Yeah, I was on my first lap. I'd already summited Sobers the first time I was coming down. So that to the summit, 16 miles. I was probably at like mile 20. Okay. Yeah. So then there. you took your insulin and you were able to get your blood sugar under control right away. And then did you, um, did you get back into the running rhythm or did that really just slow things down from that point on? Um, it slowed it down a little bit, but cause what happens is once it goes that high, like I was on a nutrition plan to eat 300 calories per hour, you know, to keep my energy up. And that usually sustains my blood sugar. But once your blood sugar goes high, you can't eat anymore because it'll just make it go higher. So I had to stop eating for a couple hours until my blood sugar came back down to a normal level so I could eat. So okay. that uh, slowed me down. I don't know how much, but it definitely slowed me down. But at that point, after that happened, I was like, you know, cause I wanted to break 30 hours probably. I had no clue, man. I really had no clue how long it was going to take me. That was just a number I had in my head. But sure. um, after that though, I was like, you know what, man, I don't care how long this takes me. Like, I'm just happy to get through this part, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, it's all downhill from my car. It's, you know, basically you have a 10 mile downhill from the trailhead. Yeah. So I was able yeah. to run back downhill to the car or to the park where my coach was. Okay. Do you have to eat anything differently than, uh, you know, quote unquote, normal people do when they're out on the trail because of your diabetes? No, not differently. Maybe just usually more like usually my routine is. I'll go the first hour without eating and then I'll eat a pack of the cliff shot blocks. Uh, those work really well for me. So that's like 200 calories, 48 carbs. I'll eat those at the hour. And then 30 minutes after I'll eat a gel. So that will put me in like 300 and then like 65, 70 carbs per hour. And then I'll just re keep repeating that cycle. Okay. Okay. Got it. And uh, so when did you pick up a pacer? I got back to, so after the first lap, so 33 miles roughly. Mm -hmm. So I picked up my coach and then another friend who's on our running team and they, they were biking me up. Um, and it, at this point, man, like it was 90 something degrees in town and um, oh, wow. I didn't have enough electrolytes in me. Like part of that was because of the blood sugar spike. I was planning on drinking some like Morton or Roctane on the way back because but they have carbs in them so i couldn't take it in for like i don't know an hour or two so by the time i got back to the park man i was very dehydrated i had a 
like salt stains all over my face. Um, like in, it was nine, I don't know, it was in the mid nineties and I was in rough shape and, uh, my coach ran to the running store where me and Sean work out and bought me some, uh, extreme Endurolite pills. Okay. And, okay. uh, you know, I got that, I chugged a thing of Roctane at the park and, uh, they started pacing me back up to the trailhead. Mm, okay. Okay. And so what did those last couple laps look like? Um, so the second lap was pretty sweet, man. Like once I got in the Enduro lights in me and my blood sugar stabilized and, um, you know, I was able to consume liquid calories regularly, uh, you know, like that climb up the road was rough, you know, with my coach. Cause I was still kind of like regulating. Sure. But I picked up my buddy Ash at my car and he was going to do lap two of Sobers with me. You know, and I, I was starting to, my blood sugar was stable. I was feeling good. I, um, I, I wasn't able to eat that much. Just like I couldn't stomach much. I didn't get sick, but it was hard to ingest food. But I drank a rock star, mm. and, uh, which I never, ever drink energy drinks. So it, it worked pretty well. And right. me and him started up sobers for the night lap. And that, I mean, that was the best thing I've experienced in my life, man. It was, you know, almost a full moon. It wasn't that cold up there. Like, me and him just had a blast. We we're the only ones up there at midnight with a full moon. And, I mean, it. it I felt like I was flying up that mountain. You know, it was really, really cool. That's cool, man. Yeah. Those are some some memories, you know. When I've been, when I've done 100 milers in the past and I have pacers with me and you're running through the night, uh, and things are just clicking. You're having good conversations. You're moving well. You're under the moonlight. I mean, that's just, those are beautiful times, man. And times I'll probably carry with me, you know, for the rest of my life. So yeah, man, I, I dig it. I, I totally feel you. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the coolest parts was, uh, you know, like my estimated like meeting times with people were way off because they were way faster than I thought. <laughs> Oh, wow. And, uh, so my buddy Warren was supposed to meet me back at the bottom of the trailhead at Ash's car at like 10 p.m. And uh, I didn't get back down till 3 a.m. So that's about five hours oh. off. And <laughs> um, so he gets to me and Asher at the summit of Mount Sobers and Warren's laying in the dirt at the parking lot. And uh, Ash had reception up there. And Warren's like, yeah, I'm down here at the parking lot. And Ash has a Tesla. And he was able to unlock his car from the summit. So Warren, Warren was able to get in the car and, and sleep in the car until we got back down. So oh, I, cool. I thought that was pretty funny. That's cool. And then that third lap, what was, was that just like a death march or were you still feeling pretty good? I wasn't bad. Um, the first lap was the worst, man. I don't know if it was cause I was by myself the whole time or, um, you know, like I was moving, slower on the first lap than i had when i ran the sobers challenge a couple weeks prior to you know i thought mm -hmm. i was gonna be moving a lot faster mm -hmm. um like my legs just weren't moving fast on that first lap but it, that was the worst lap the third lap you know the sun had come up um and at this point you know like after i did the second summit i knew i was gonna finish like unless you know you know barring disaster i just knew i was gonna do it like i wasn't 
going to stop, you know, unless something terrible happened. So by the time I got to the third lap, Anna May, my coach, and and some other people um, started, you know, they came with the road. The cool thing was, like, people were just showing up, man, on the road. Like, people I know, uh, nice. they would just, like, jump like jump out of their car and start running with me, you know? So, like, <laughs> obviously that makes it way easier, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I, I looked behind me, and there's three people running up the road. I was like, oh, there's just, like, a family going for a run. And it's three people that I am good friends with. They didn't tell me they were coming. They just showed up and started running with me. So the third lap was, it was hard. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was hard. I, I picked up Sean and my buddy, Kevin. Well, Sean met me at the trailhead and he brought me some, uh, some of these vegan chocolate chip cookies from Whole Foods. Nice. And uh, I, mean, I was having a really hard time eating like at that point and I got the cookies were like a lifesaver, you know? And, uh, I, and Sean's like way faster than me and he's like pushing me pretty hard. And so I'm, I'm trying running, trying to keep up with him on the third lap. Like we're moving pretty fast up. So you, you go up the trailhead about four miles till you hit the lake. Mm-hmm. And then at the lake is when the real like steep mountainous climbing starts. So he, he pushed me pretty hard up to the lake and um, that felt really good. And then Kevin came and met us up above the lake and that's when it started to get real hard again, you know, cause I'm, I'm just hiking very slow at this point. And I'm just, I mean, mentally I'm okay, but physically I'm, I'm pretty done, you know? Yeah, for sure. But it was all right, though. It wasn't terrible. Like th- There was nothing during that whole event that was like, I don't want to do this again. Good, good. Good for you, man. So then you made that third summit, and then I'm guessing you bombed all the way down, right? Eight-minute miles, well, that, just crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> that was my plan. That's what I thought was going to happen, but that's not what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, damn it, I still got to go back. It's 16 miles from the summit back to the park, you know? I was like, I still got to go back all this and like the down hiking on sobers is terrible, man. You know, until you get to the lake, it's just really steep and loose and rocky. And I mean, I'm just taking my time. I'm like, you know, your feet are just getting smashed by rocks. And uh, I was just like, I, I was still feeling good though. But then at mile 90, so basically at the trailhead, that's when I really started to feel like crap. Um so it was, it was about two, two and a half miles from the trailhead to my car. And it's pretty flat. I mean, there's like a little downhill, but it's pretty flat. And I basically walked the whole thing. Like I, I was expecting to be able to run that, but mm-hmm. I walked the whole way because I just felt like shit. Yeah. And uh, I got back to my car and Kevin was at my car. And um, so I'm about 93 miles in almost, and it's 93 degrees out. And, uh, I mean, I was not expecting that. And, uh, so I had seven and a half miles downhill and, uh, my buddy Justin shows up on his bike. So he's pacing me downhill and he gets a flat tire. So he, (laughs) he throws his bike in the woods and we just start jogging. I was like, man, I can't walk back like this is, so I've already been out here for 34 hours. If I walk back seven miles, I'm going to be out here another three hours. Yeah. You just want to get it over with. Yeah. So we start running downhill and, um, I felt like I was going fast, but I'm sure I was going a lot slower than I felt like. And then, uh, this, this kid, 
Caleb, who works at the coffee shop next to our running store, um, jumps out of a van. We're driving down the hill. He just jumps out of a van and starts running with us. So I got a little crew with me now, and we're just jogging back down, you know, and uh, at like mile 97 and a half, Sean's wife and my coach show up with like popsicles for everyone and Sean's Sean's wife brought her dog and my coach brought her dog and like I, I have a little dog uh business on the side and I, I take care of their dogs sometimes so that was like really awesome you know nice. and, uh, you got a little party going on out there yeah it was really cool man and that's why I say I'm really glad I got the race got canceled you know because sure. uh and then and then by that time Sean got off work and um, the bike path that I run back into town goes by his house. So he basically was biking home from work and ran into me and turned around and he, he rode back into the park with me. So, um, and then there, you know, I, at this point I was just running as fast as I could. Cause I was like, I got to at least break 35 hours. Like, I, I mean, this is forever, you know? I was like, I was like, so I'm actually like pushing myself pretty hard at that point, you know? Nice. And um, yeah, I get to the park and there's like, I mean, I don't know, there's like 30 people there. It was really neat. Like, some wow. people I don't even know. And uh, I don't know. It was just like a really magical experience, you know? For sure. Were you, when you hit that finish line, I mean, were you thinking back to, to the darker places you've been in your life? Were you thinking back to the past or didn't that even enter your mind at that time? No, not at all, man. All I was thinking was, uh, I just want to lay down. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's your first hundred miler, man. I mean, that's, that's how it goes. Congratulations. I was so happy to be done and, and it, I'm sure you know, but it's like the whole thing, like time was so irrelevant. It went by so fast. Like yep. it, it was so weird because it took so long, but it went by so fast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You and, just uh, end up in a weird time warp. And when you're yeah. done, just like, yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Oh, that's cool, man. That's yeah. cool. So how did you feel afterwards? Did you did you just lay down and rest? Did you eat? How did you celebrate? Yeah, so I mean, I'm not a very social person and there's like you know, like I'm kind of off in the corner like talking to my coach and people that I know well, but there's like a big circle of people in the middle of the park and she's like come over and talk to everyone they're here to see you and I'm like, "Oh man, I don't really want to do this, you know, but I I I am because like they're here for me you know like i gotta go say hi but i really didn't want to you know oh. and then um my sponsor and his wife showed up too oh cool and um they drove me back up to get my car and um i went out to dinner we ended up going out to dinner with sean and his wife and my coach and her boyfriend and my sponsor and his wife and my buddy justin mm. and uh but i i mean I wasn't feeling like I just wanted to lay down. Like I ate a little bit of pizza, you know, and then I was like, Hey guys, I got to go. Right. I just, I just like, I want to go lay down, you know? Yes, sir. I know that feeling well. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. I mean, what a great first hundred mile or experience. I mean, 
you know, yeah. against all the odds, the races are canceled. You just decided to go out and do it on your own. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's real like testament of sobriety too. I think you know, it's like, man, all those dark times I had in my life. Like, I, I was joking with everyone. I was like, because everyone was like, yeah, the nighttime could be rough, and the the nighttime was the best part. And I was like, yeah, man, I've been practicing for this a long time. You know, all those sleepless nights I had in my drinking days. You know, <laughs> I know staying up all night—that's easy. You've been training yeah, for that. Or- all the all the rough stuff you like you were talking about all the resentments and insecurities you have to work through in sobriety i mean that to me is a lot harder than running 100 miles i mean you know it's not not physical but mentally it's a lot more to me it's a lot more intimidating you know yeah isn't that crazy i mean it makes running a 100 miler seem not really all that bad once you've been through all that crap yeah, yeah, and it, and just like and the idea that we can't do it alone, you know, like that was the other thing. Is like, I can't get sober alone. I can't stay sober alone, and now I have this like incredible hundred mile experience that I did not do alone, you know. Yeah, yep. so many people helped me, and like, and just like sobriety, you know, it's like these people help me get sober. Now I have to help others, and now that I had this experience on this hundred, like now all I want to do is go help other people with their races, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's okay. my next goal. <laughs> that's it right there. You got to give back now. That's what it's all about. That's so yeah. cool, dude. That's like, I didn't get that feeling during the 50, you know, cause it's like a 50 is a hard, long way to go, but I don't really feel like, like there was the unity, but it doesn't like, I feel like you don't need the teamwork as much, you know, like the hundred was like, a, like all these guys, like Sean and Kevin, these guys have done like, overnight events like they know how bad it stinks and like they're out there helping me no matter what you know and Mm -hmm. um like that like kind of really drew me into the hundred distance and made it like separate itself from like the other distance i guess yeah that's so cool man yeah some of my best memories are, are looking back at my first few hundreds when you know i had some real close friends and you know i just felt so touched that they would come out to help me and in some of these races were where they lived and you know they'd come and sleep on floors and and do whatever it take whatever it took to get me into the finish and you know i'll just i'll never forget that and i'm guessing uh you'll hold on to those memories for a long time yeah and and uh that was one of my biggest insecurities was asking people to help me right i felt guilty I was like, I sure. don't, like I almost got to the point. I was so scared of having people help me that I was like, I'm just going to do this unsupported. Sure. You know, I, I, like I hate feeling like, ha- like I don't want people waiting on me at aid stations. You know what I mean? It was like, like I had to get, I had to get through that in order to do this. And like people wanted to be there, you know? Yeah. That's the cool thing. That's, it's one of the cool things about this sport, man, is, you know, everyone's willing to help out. Everyone's willing to pass on their knowledge. And like you said, you know, you can't get sober by yourself and you can't run a hundred miler by yourself. So yeah, no way. You did it. man. That's so cool. Congrats. So wh- what's next for you? Do you have, I mean, I know, you know, races aren't exactly up and running yet, but do you have right. plans for your future? Uh, I was kind of thinking about that today. I'm not really sure. I definitely rolled over. The cool thing about Run Rabbit Run was they didn't take any of my money, 
and they're letting you roll it over into 2021 or 2022. Okay. So I'll definitely be doing that. But now, you know, I'm thinking about uh, like a 200. Ah, nice. Naturally. Okay. I'm definitely going to do more hundreds. And um, yeah, I don't think that far ahead as far as the future, but I definitely really enjoyed it and I want to be a part of it. And um, that's, yeah. So, I mean, eventually I'd like, like the hurt 100s always been one that stuck out to me. I'd like to go do that, you know, like, nice. Yep. that would be cool. So who knows? Wow. I mean, I, I never thought this would happen, so I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah. Isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah. Looking back, you know, a decade ago, it's like, you know, would have thought that you would be running hundred milers. I mean, yeah it's the same way for me, man. I just, like, I could have, I could have never imagined this life, you know, it's yeah. crazy how it all works out. Yeah. I mean, when I was 19 at 300 pounds, I could run, I ran a half a mile and that was like probably harder than the hundred. I just, ran. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wow. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so cool talking to you, man. It's such a cool, inspiring story. I mean, you've come a long, long ways and uh, hats off to you, man. You've, you've dug in, you did the work, not only on yourself, but, you know, training for a hundred miler is, is, it's a lot of work, man. So um, yeah, you've come a long ways. Congratulations to you, man. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate this, this opportunity to talk with you, man. It's been awesome. For sure. Well, it's an inspiring story, man. And uh, keep me posted when, if and when you ever come out to run rabbit run, man, I'd love to, I'd love to come out and pace you. Yeah. I'll let you know, man, probably be next year, but um, I'll definitely keep you posted. Definitely. You have any shout outs or anything you want to give to anybody that helped you out along the way? Yeah, definitely. Um, Anna Mae Flynn. She's my coach. She has a mountain endurance athlete coaching. They do awesome coaching stuff. Um, no way I do it without her. She's, you know, mm-hmm. she's really phenomenal. And then, um, you know, Sean Van Horn at Independence Run and Hike, he, he's definitely like the crew chief, you could say. And just so many, so many people help me out. But those two kind of stand out. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, do you feel like you could have done this without them? Um, I think I would have. I think I would have done it. I mean, in the race day, like race day, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not race day, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think I would have finished it solo, but it would have sucked a lot worse. Yeah. But there's no way I get to race day without anime. Mm, Um, Because last year, what happened was I had a coach. I did the 50 after the 50, I was feeling so good. I wasn't listening to my coach. I went out and did like 120 mile a week, like two weeks after the 50. And I ended <laughs> up in the hospital with viral meningitis and shingles. I was in quarantine for five days. Oh, no. Um, you know, the typical alcoholic addict mindset is <laughs> I'm going to do more. And of course, Anna Mae was really good at keeping me like, from overtraining because there's a few times where I did more than she told me to and she was not very happy with me. So, um there's no way, you know, if it was up to me by myself, I would 
be in the hospital again or sure. be injured, you know? Yeah. So. And it would have sucked. I mean, you wouldn't have had yeah. nearly much fun. It's just, no. you know, it's way better when you have friends there to support you. Yeah. Yeah. It was the coolest experience. I mean, everything came together, you know, it just wow. having all my friends there was, you know, that was like the, like I said, a million times, that was the best part by far. Yeah. That's cool, dude. Well, listen, man, it was awesome talking to you. I love hearing your story. Um, I, I can definitely relate to, to big chunks of it for sure. And uh, like, I feel you all the way through, man. I, I, I know exactly how it goes. So yeah, I can, I can relate to so much. So I really enjoy uh, hearing it and I'm always a sucker for, you know, hearing a good uh, recovery story too. So um, I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I think it's going to inspire some people. So just keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks, man. I I hope so. I mean, that's the, the goal behind all of it, you know, for so. sure. You got it. All right, man. We'll stay in touch. I'll be keeping an eye on you. I can't wait to see what's in your future. And uh, if I ever come out your way, I want to run with you and Sean for sure. Uh, Sean's and he's seems like a really, really just a big sweetheart. And uh, he's offered me, he's like, yeah, come on out, stay at my place. We wear the same size ski boots. I'll, I'll oh, loan you nice. some skis. So yeah, man, he seems like just a big sweetie. And uh, I mean that in the best way. And uh, so if, and when I come out your way, I'm going to look you guys up for sure. Yeah, do it, man. That would, that would be pretty epic. It would be. Yeah. We would make it epic for sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool, do. brother. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks so much. You bet, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Later. All right. Before I get you guys out of here, I want to give a big shout out to uh, my friend Leslie, one of our clients. She just ran her first half marathon. Um, I'm sure you guys can remember if you guys are runners at all, going back to your very first half marathon and what a big deal it was. And uh, um, she did it. So congrats. Hats off to her. Super proud of her and was super pumped to be there and be a part of it. If you guys enjoy this podcast, please consider making a donation. You can tap support this podcast to donate whatever you feel inspired to do. It goes a long way and really helps to keep this podcast alive. Or uh, if you don't have the means, you can share it or write us a review. It's all much appreciated. Hey, you guys need supplements of any sort? You need protein powder, vitamins, energy drinks? I got you. And I'm talking about the healthy ones, not the crappy, sugary energy drinks. These are the energy drinks that give you a nice, sustained energy all day. I got your back. Hit me up. I can hook you guys up. You can find us at big-things-crewing.com. Life is short. Do big things, baby.